Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we continue investigating the idea of innovation and disruption. We continue past where we were with the Three Horizons model and really start looking at how can companies enterprises and individuals become more innovative. And we actually break that apart into adapting and agile disruption, the use of standardization, um, and the cognitive dissonance of innovation, uh, even going down into distinguishing between inventions and applications. So a fantastic discussion that you will find practical in how people talk. This will help you listen more carefully and think more constructively about how you innovate within your life and your organization. Enjoy the discussion. Innovation. Was, was innovation. So right, we, we had well, the, the Horizons model for innovation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still, I still think um, we, you know, ah, I, I don't know how companies like go after building innovative organizations, um, and I, I, I tend to think we we think about it really wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I'll 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 seed it this way because I've been doing some some uh, sort of explainer research on this idea of agility versus standardization, where people Ooh. tend to think standardization is the antithesis of agility, um, and I, I think innovation is often miscategorized in a similar way. Right? You had talked earlier, Joanne, about um, evolutionary versus disruptive innovation. Yeah. Um, you know, and that a lot of people miscategorize, think disrupt, they're being disruptive when they're really being evolutionary. <laughs> um, Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and yeah. to your point about standardization and agility, my view in, in three words or less is because I've developed so many standards over the years. I've always done that like mm. from day one. So 30 years of it. Ouch, I'm old. Um, it doesn't, it's not contra to agility. What it promotes is adaptability. Oh, that's so interesting. Add a add on word. So do you think standardization and adaptability go together? Yes, because agility is a reactive state and adaptability is a proactive state. Oh, interesting. I think I, that's, I've been struggling with exactly this sort of um, a dilemma with this where companies like are, and this goes back to what we were talking about in the, in the lead up, right? Is you do a whole bunch of stream aligned teams, you give them free reign to do whatever they want. There's a lot of agility in the system, but the company as a whole is not able to adapt or consolidate and say, like like the compliance drops to the floor. And I've been right. looking for a way to sort of mush all that together because I, I really feel like a lot of companies are struggling with innovation. Well, they're struggling with innovation because they are not adaptive or adaptable. And 
they went down the road of agility and agility basically says, Jack, be nimble, Jack, be quick. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's a proactive state. You're reacting quickly to a circumstance that has changed an event. So if you think about event driven models from that perspective and Rich is frowning awfully. um, Not, not frowning. I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I saw the I saw I saw the eyebrows coming together. So to me, I was like, "What?" In <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah. It, in in any event, no pun intended. Um, if you think about event-driven modeling, a trigger has to happen, right? If you're agile, you're able to react quickly and efficiently to that trigger. If you're adaptive or adaptable, you anticipate the trigger before it happens. So standards promote adaptability and they support agility. On on the other hand, going back to disruption, disruption usually means not following the standards, or at least in the tech world as it is interpreted. I'm not saying that it should be, but um, like if if we look at recent disruptions, like for example, let's say all the mobile disruptions done by Tesla, they've largely done that by throwing standards away, sometimes to the detriment of the consumer, but uh, (laughs) the the standards... (sighs) I see them more as being hmm. a, the the weight on the other side of of the of the of the like the trying to balance out the disruption so that the disruption doesn't become destructive. So so hmm. so standards plus this plus disruption becomes constructive innovation. Disruption without standards, in many cases, doesn't have to be, but in many cases, becomes a destructive innovation. I think that's um, that's ooh. that's interesting, huh. and I think it's it's actually, I think it it holds. Um, two two questions. One is when you refer to standards. I mean, there are standards, and then there are you know. There's standards and then there's incarceration. I mean, basically what people will call standard is <laughs> sorry. is a I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you the, like I that. Love, I love the very visual word. All right. Okay. Well, you know, there's a there is a standard to how you do something or how you support something. Um, and it, often it's a standard in the way in standard process or use of a of standard tools, standard reporting, so forth, and a um, and and I I like the way uh, Klaus put it because the well actually both of both Klaus and Joanne are, ta- are talking about I need to have some guidelines some some fencing on this thing that then allow and then there's the question of all right 
what kind of innovation are we talking about? Technical innovation? Are we talking about market creating innovations? Those are those are different. Um, and so context is going to or or the kind of innovation we're we're discussing, I think, really matters here. Um, but usually, one of the things that also happens with innovation is it turns back on itself and usually modifies the standard, modifies mm. the process by which things proceed. And and it and to both Joanne and, and Klaus, it's trying to minimize the destructive nature of disruption and try to utilize whatever is unusual or new or disruptive as somehow uh, being having having a benefit one of the things that also makes makes me kind of crazy is when people talk about innovation and don't recognize that there is um along with innovation comes forms of experimentation and therefore there are failed 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 efforts and the idea that you know like anything in in an experimental situation you have to be ready for failure and accept that it exists and um you know not every attempt at innovation and and it is thoughtful um yes it's going to result it, it, not everyone's going to result in a in a win it's um it's not exactly like you can kind of turn the crank and 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 turn out an innovation. Um, <laughs> right. I have a question for you, mm-hmm. and I have a. It's actually a question for the three of you. I I look at standards as being either evolutionary, and they progress from a basic scope of practice. And and each iteration is an innovation. But I look at the development of a new standard or a new disruptive technology, let's say, as an invention. And I think people often mm. use the two words interchangeably, yet in definition, they are not the same. You innovate a new mousetrap. You invent a new technology. And so the standards are usually put in place to take invention and yeah. give it guardrails. I, I actually, I, I might be able to give. I'm, I'm looking to make it concrete with a couple of examples. Sure. Um, and and so I think that um, in manufacturing, I think there's an interesting analogy here with milling machines. Right. With me, where when. You know, we we saw an innovation in milling machines where an evolution in milling machines where we had milling machines and then we turned them into computerized milling machines, but they were fundamentally still, you know, a mechanical removal of, of equipment, right? Automated lathes, automated uh, CNC okay. machines. Those, those were evolutionary changes where we were re- replaced. The, the process basically stayed the same. 
but we improve the system. If you then look at a um, 3D printing system where we are actually building the same part, but in a totally different way, that is a invention in Jeanette's, uh, sorry, Joanne, in, in um, Joanne's, I, one of my team members is Jeanette, so my head's, sorry. I know. Um, but so so Joanne's definition of in, in invention here is more classified by 3D printing because it's a totally different, totally, right? And then Absolutely. it rewrote the rules. Um, right. Yeah. What might be also innovative is to take a piece of technology that prior to this, this occurrence has never been used for a particular purpose and mm. suddenly is deployed. It's an innovative use of an existing technology. It's not an invention. And so I Correct. think that I think that you know follows yeah. right along with the the way you've you've set this up. So I it, yeah, I buy that. Is is it's interesting because maybe disruption is actually much more about the not the technology but the surrounding impact. Well, of it. here's here's the question: Dis, what kind? There there are all kinds of disruption, right? Okay. Um, yeah. You know you can have. You know, it can disrupt everything from HR and and <laughs> skills and uh, who gets hired, who gets fired, who you know, to you know, you know everything else down the line. So, context has a, has a lot to do with this and and intent. Mm -hmm. So there's the other question: How much of these? either invention or innovation, how much of this is, has to have as part of the context um, intent? You know, it's, it's, it's not like discovering penicillin, you know, and when you walk in in the morning and suddenly, you know, the, the mold is showing that, you know, there's no bacteria in a certain spot. Um, what what can you say about intent or kind of an objective when you I would say scope, sorry I would yeah. say scope practice just like in engineering right think about a mind think about putting putting guide rules in place regulate regulatory requirements for like a, a, a shaft in a mine. You have a scope of practice, and that scope of practice has to be in compliance with something of a state or a, a federation or a you know a province. That scope of practice is where that context and application, how technology is applied, how safety rules will be applied. Those are scopes of practice, and that together with your intent and your application would make something new, in, innovative, right? But if you look at an organization, Rob, appointing yeah. a new role like the chief AI officer, which yeah. is the new the new spin, oh, dear. or a chief INO officer, okay. Uh, 
right? For that would deal with all the cloud stuff and all the hybrid stuff and all the infrastructure, all of that. Sort of like the the master of DevOps or or mm-hmm. mistress of DevOps. Um, those would have a scope of practice that deals with both the intent and the context in which that's being appointed. So from an HR perspective or a C-suite perspective in an organization, the CAIO would allow for a lot of experimentation. Failure would be celebrated, not dismissed as, oh, well, you tried and failed, so you're inadequate. It's more like we're trying to get to something new and we're embracing the idea of inventiveness and cognitive resonance around inventiveness to be not Um, inventive, inventive per se, but innovative because we've now added new things like a 3d printer that prints metal could be seen as milling at a new level, right? At a higher level. But right. the invention of the 3D printer and everything, all the accoutrements that go with it, the the, the threads and whatever those wool of plastic things or, or resins are called, the, the materials, that was a new invention in and of itself. It didn't, it had a scope of practice that said, you know, the needle will come down and and drop the drip, uh, Mm -hmm. drip the drop at a particular point, at a particular place, at a specific heat. All of that was scope of practice around a new invention. A new invention, right. The the invention itself was additive crafting as opposed to subtract Correct. Yes. Hmm. And to me, and part of the disruption, though, was enabling hobbyists and home users. Right? We had we had people getting into home mills. Those were starting to uh-huh. make it down into smaller sizes. Um, so maybe this isn't dis- disruption, right? We had a, a, a home use, putting these tools in home users' hands. It's, that's a whole new category of, of use for these this equipment. Um, right. I think the three, the three D, um, the additive manufacturing um, changed. Interesting. I mean, it creates whole new product product categories and new ways of manufacturing. So in that way, it's disruptive. But... The the disruption was that you could be doing your manufacturing in your office as opposed to in a workshop, because right. Right. unlike with milling, with three D printers, there is no debris. Unless you take your piece afterwards and then sand it to to smooth out the edges, but the crafting itself can be done in your office on your desk right next to your computer. Right, and so a lot of that was only possible because of of computers too and three D. Right. right, it's we're, we're something we all I think we all agree was um, disruptive, right, or at least highly innovative. Let me let me take the charged word out of it was enabled by having a whole bunch of adjacent technologies also progress to a certain mm-hmm. a certain point. Yeah. I mean, I used to make wax candles. And now you 3D print them. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just, I just, right. You could, the, the uh, yeah. I mean, the process that we're describing isn't that different than um, if you go way back into, you know, bronze casting with 
casting just in general yeah the other the other thing we haven't discussed exactly is that um all too often well here's a question and my my sense here is when one is facing an invention one is dealing with a, an invention it's novel it's you know all too often i would say the rule of thumb is it's going to be used to replace an older technology or an older approach and very often it's thought of in terms of the past technology you know the notion of a horseless carriage it's it's an automobile it's not a horseless horseless carriage you 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 don't need to put a buggy whip hole on it you no. don't need to you know and so you know very often invention might show up you know in a particular arena it's to solve a problem or it it turns out that it solves a problem that the question is where is is where and how is it applicable and this comes this shows up also as you know potentially disruptive potentially negatively disruptive or could be could be positively disruptive you're you're taking some of the words out of my mouth there rich because as you were say, saying that like i i had the, this um this thought that um and, and it's probably an over generalization so i i, I welcome um <laughs> examples or, or counter examples but i think generally we can um classify an innovation as addressing a need that a current system exhibits versus an invention being born from an idea very often yeah like you don't invent something to fix an issue that you're having you innovate to fix that issue yeah oh it has, you invent it has something and then you realize oh this I means my it. needs here yeah yeah there, there i think you know it's like any of these rules you know it's it's more uh you know 90 90% of the time it's one 10% the other but yes i think you're absolutely dead on there um the the notion of of doing things the same old way with an invention with something that's that's quite novel makes the uh, the uh, one of the other issues is how do you how do you factor in or how do you consider learning and you know kind of the the accrual of knowledge method skills when you're talking about an innovation versus when you're talking about an invention because adoption of either an innovation or adoption of an invention can follow some pretty different paths and often it's one of you know uh getting rid of preconceived notions 
you know, you always did it this way. Um, the the rule of thumb is always, you know, it has to look like it has to look like this. So there's a there's a learning aspect there that comes. And do you generally see a difference when you're talking about invention versus innovation? I see invention as being closer related to the academic field on innovation mm -hmm. to the industry field. Mm -hmm. I, a, Sorry, can a... you repeat that? I didn't hear it. So, so I, I think of innovation as being industry industry related, and invention as being academics related. Or so invention almost, is almost almost like yeah. pure research. It you know it, yeah. it just it occurs and and you you don't have a preconceived necessarily you don't have a preconceived notion of what you're going to do with it yeah and invention is mm -hmm. something new for the sake of creating something new innovation mm -hmm. is something new for the sake of addressing a problem that is well established and needs fixing it doesn't mean that there's no overlap between them it's but but by and large i would do the divide that way, like academic versus industrial. This, this to me is similar to the difference between science and engineering. And I, I like I like where you were going with that. I, I think there's a lot of inventions that are cool or interesting or something like that. But then it, the, the thing that turns it into an innovation, maybe, I'm, I'm, I'm making this up as I go, but the thing that's going to make it into an innovation is figuring out how to take that invention and adapt it into a consumption model that people understand. So, um, right. I, I'll give you like an example. Well, exa go, go ahead. Sorry. I, I would ask a question with respect to that. Okay. If it's empirical, pure research, and you invent it for the sake of inventing something new, somewhere, to Rich's point about intent, you have an idea of what it could be used for. So the question that I have is, and coming from science and engineering like you and everybody else, I have I I, I have qualms about that because when I address Rich's question about learning, learning is an ongoing constant thing. It's the absorption of information, the application of that information to a specific problem set could be both innovative and inventive. Mm -hmm. Yes. I never yeah. expected to apply it to that situation, but I, I created it for this specific purpose, which may or may not pan out. Yeah, absolutely. There is no reason why an invention cannot also turn into an innovation. Right. It's right. just that an innovation that does not require an invention. Mm. I, I think that's actually, I can think of examples where you have something that worked in one case and then uh, I'm thinking a ton of examples, um, like the use of the Gorilla Glass for phones, 
right? Mm-hmm. One of the breakthroughs on on um, the current generation of smartphones is that they needed screens that wouldn't couldn't break easily. And so they went looking for people who had made that type of glass. Um, right. And and I believe that that like they had innovated that type of glass, but they couldn't manufacture it insufficient. It was supposed to be for like helicopter cockpits and they couldn't manufacture enough of it for a, a canopy. And so they put right. it on the shelf. So they had an invention, they had no market for it. And somebody managed to put together those needs, um, right. which is, I, I think that's if, what if, we do. If and companies I think want to be innovated, that that's what they have to be doing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's absolutely right. And and by the way, you know, the patent office has you know an e- enormous number of inventions yeah. that have never been reduced to practice, or when they've re- been reduced to practice, they've found to be okay. There's there's some other problem that hasn't been addressed there, and so it's it's not practicable. It's this, not pragmatic to make you make use of those. Yeah, but this is this to me is very pragmatic commentary because there's a lot of examples of great ideas that actually are accelerated by being adjacent to well understood pathways. Um, like I originally earlier in the conversation, I was thinking about the adaptation of USB cables. And the fact that the protocol hasn't changed underneath the covers and that we still have USB-A plugs running around and now we're <laughs> converting everything to USB-C is, is, you know, and that you can find something with both ends is actually a really nice example of incremental innovation in the adapter where, you know, arguably they did a, you know, they did a sufficient job on the original adapters and they've done a great job based on, you know, years of years of, of review and invention on the new adapters. Um, but the fact that they're they're cross compatible is is actually makes it much easier to adapt, adopt from that perspective. And so if we're yeah. looking for innovation around us, one of the things to do is to look at ways that you are not breaking the current thing. It's the um, this great analogy that people have comparing um, the width of a horse's ass to a to the space shuttle, and that right the the Roman roads were shaped for horses, and you know that constraint that that constraint and the axle width of that constraint draw has driven every use every innovative use of the technology using roads since then. Um, and, and applied in in multiple different industries. And yeah. take this back. Take take your USB example back. Okay. The original standard developed for USB or USA was the standard that's that promoted true. the uh, the. I worked on it. That's <laughs> referring to it. But but the 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 creation of that portable adaptive capability was to promote agility. It was a standard to promote agility because somebody made a change to hardware for a specific cost perspective and the industry jumped on it. Think about iPhones that no longer have a, uh, we no longer have a jack in the phone to plug into. Headphone jacks, yeah. That came from, that emanated from a standard. Standards 
put the guardrails around. Why are we doing this? We have a problem. Every time we put a, a little hole in the case of the phone, it causes the antennas to fail. It's a higher cost of manufacturing. It's a warranty issue. It's a whatever, 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 right? right. All the way down the road. And Apple decided, well, that's enough of that. We're just going to make everybody go to go to uh, wireless. Well, but to well, part of it, part of it, was wireless to- or or lightning cables, because remember, yeah. or, or, yes, or lightning, yeah, or lightning cable. But the wireless, the reason for the push to wireless was actually a business driver for their beacon business. Yeah. Which was went up and then started to fail because how do beacons work? How do they get you into a store? Bluetooth. Bluetooth. It's I'm here, I'm here, I'm here over and over and over again. It's just sending out a pulse. If you can't pick it up because you're wearing headphones, what does that do to their beacon business? Flat. That's why they created the iteration of iPhone with no headphone jack. And then the rest of the industry went, what a great idea, because we all compete and co-opt. So there you go. So so <laughs> so you're actually saying part of the driver here is to encourage people to leave Bluetooth on. Yes. They force them to of leave course. Bluetooth on. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And what happens when you leave Bluetooth on all the time, Rob? Uh I my power drives faster. <laughs> but no, I mean That's it will right. create but it also creates an industry, which we've now opportunistically done, of, of people using beaconing as a, a, for a, for innovative purposes. Where right. just like I mean, text message. This is we have like the, the our industry is littered with these great examples. Like text messages were a way to absorb excess bandwidth between the carrier signals. Right. Um, it was you know it was free bandwidth originally, and and um, right. And and it, it's become actually a you know bigger industry than the call volume in a lot of ways. So, um, and people are using it for marketing all the time now. Yeah, uh, I, I guess now that we all since we're talking about text messages, we also uh, another topic of innovation. Um, there's the other side of the coin where walled gardens stifle innovation, mm. like the. Blue versus green bubbles in iMessage. <laughs> Where you're keep kept out, yeah. So, but but the whole thing is, I where I started to go down this road was, if you develop a standard, if you're part of the group developing a standard, whether it's IEEE or ISO or anything else, you have an unfair competitive advantage, by the way. Because you then have 18 to 24 months while the standard goes through its rigmarole of of getting to be blessed by an organization and becoming de facto in the industry, whether it's tech or automotive or anything else. If you get there first or if you're part of that group that is developing that standard, you know ahead of time what it's going to end up looking like. And that gives you highly competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Now. Take that back also to your point about agility and mind versus adaptability. Sometimes agility. that misfires, though. Um, like I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. 
but eighty on an eighty twenty rule, it works. Yes, I built a business around that, so I I know that from the eighty twenty rule, it it generally works. But if you take that back to agility and uh, adaptability, if you are an adaptable organization, you sense things coming. You see around corners a lot faster and a mm. lot more easily than those that are simply agile who react quickly. Oh so goodness. I categorize yeah. companies into those that are innovative because they're reinventing a wheel with a different color in, in sort of brass tax, tax terms versus those are that are inventive because they're seeking competitive advantage in any way possible. Product as a service in manufacturing, Caterpillar, all the services that they provide, all the technology that they threw into their tractors and other equipment, including 80,000 autonomous vehicles called trucks that run around mines everywhere in the world. Um, that's an inventive company. That's an adaptive and agile company okay having said that uh i we're, we're, i'm gonna I, wrap us up in a second class go ahead oh, and close sorry. this out yeah. that's okay I, yeah i i i only partially agree with the your term of agility um i i see agility more as a risk mitigation factor and, and not as a uh business guiding factor so it Agility is your ability to pivot on a disruption so that you maintain business continuity. Okay. Wait, but I'm going to wrap this up because, and I, I, I put this in as a topic to come back to in a couple of weeks, okay. uh, which is the agility versus adaptability, adaptability. And, and standardization. And I'll have, I'll have my, my the seeds of my presentation ready to to start us on this and then i think that'll take us straight straight to this topic because y'all are you're hitting something that it, I'm, I'm trying to do some some thinking on too um next week is our discussion it's a uh, retrospective forward looking it's the last meeting of the year mm. believe it or not not postmodern. Okay. <laughs> sorry not postmodern. No, oh so much, <laughs> so much happened um, this year. The patient uh, is still alive. It looks, it looks <laughs> like I accidentally deleted the wrong meeting for this. Shoot! All right, I'm just going to move this back. Um, huh? Drives me nuts when I when I uh, do something like that. All right, 21st we are still meeting. The 28th we are. I wasn't planning to meet. Okay. I think that makes sense. So I just moved. I just moved it. Yeah, it's back in. All right. Next week. I'll see you then. Bye. Well do. Cheers. I really enjoy these conversations where we take on very practical understanding of what makes something innovative, what slows down innovation, where is the friction? And this will be a topic that we will keep coming back to. Um, we want to try and figure out 
how we can reduce the friction of innovation in our organizations. This has immediate and direct implications to uh, active conversations throughout the industry. If you look at uh, Team Topologies, the book that we referenced, uh, developer portals, cognitive dissonance, all of these concepts, absolutely critical in how we build and invent systems. Hope you will join us. You can find out our whole schedule. Come in, join our book group, be part of the discussion. We want to hear your questions and ideas at the2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and, you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. All part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.